The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So I don't know about you all, but this is the time of year when um, I start getting all kinds of party invitations showing up in my mailbox. And, you know, you get invitations to weddings, to graduations, to birthday parties, to backyard barbecues. And you remember I told you last week that I'm a little bit of a, a social introvert, well, actually kind of a lot of a social introvert. See, when I get invitations to parties, um, they kind of have this, this effect of, of giving me a little bit of a panic attack sometimes. And so consequently, um, there are some parties that I really like to get invited to, and then there's other parties that I really don't like to get invited to. The kind of party I like to get invited to is this kind of party. We'll put this up on the screen. See, this is my ideal party. We'll zoom in so you can see this. Friday, June 15th at my house, 7 to 11 p.m. Can't wait to see you on Friday. 7 o'clock, arrive and head to the backyard for a barbecue. 7.30, eat the perfectly grilled steaks. 8.15, lawn game tournament. 9.15, bonfire. 10.30, free time. 11 o'clock, time to go home. Party ends promptly at 11 p.m. because everybody knows that a good party has a very strict itinerary. See, that's the kind of party that I like to go to because I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and what it is that I'm supposed to do. On the other hand, the kind of party that I don't like to get invited to is this kind of party right here. June 15th, Friday at my house, 7 till who knows when. Can't wait. Can't wait to see you at on Friday because it's all about time that my work friends meet my neighborhood friends and my church friends. The event starts at 7, but it has no end time. You're not going to want to leave since you'll be having the best small talk of your life with all my friends that are complete strangers to you. Don't miss my great party. See, that's the kind of party that actually gives a person like me a little bit of a panic attack. Now, the interesting thing is, though, however, is that when Jesus actually invited the very first people to his party, Jesus, we actually find, made his agenda for them in their life very clear um, because Jesus actually said to them, I want you to follow me. And he said, when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to make you into something that you are not already. And for every single one of us, if we think about that a little bit, if Jesus were to come to you and say to you, I want you to follow me, I'm going to make you something, right? I mean, for me, I mean, there's all kinds of things that naturally I think Jesus or following Jesus might make me into, right? Maybe he's going to make me more disciplined. Maybe he's going to make me more spiritual. He'll make me wiser. He'll make me a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother. He's going to make me, you know, make me more committed, perhaps. I mean, there's all kinds of different things I might think following Jesus would actually make me into. But when Jesus actually invites his first four followers to follow them, he says, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, Jesus says, I'm going to make you something. And what he said next to those first four people must have been very confusing for them. Because I don't think Jesus, I don't think they had a clue what it is that Jesus meant or what it is that Jesus had in store for any of them. And yet what we're going to see today is that even though they didn't know quite what Jesus was talking about, even though they had no idea where following Jesus would eventually lead, they followed Jesus anyway. Now for these last several weeks, we've been in this series together talking about it's sometimes it takes a party. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at a number of different events from the life of Jesus 
Some of these are the parties that Jesus went to. Some are parties that Jesus talked about and taught about. Um, Others, like last week we saw, aren't even really parties at all. But in all of these events, what we're learning is a very significant truth that actually applies to every single one of our lives today when we talk about what it means to actually bring Jesus into every single one of our relationships. The relationships that we have with the people who are like us, but also the relationships that you and I, that we all have, with the people who are not like us. Because one of the things that we see Jesus doing constantly is inviting people to the party who are not like him. In fact, last week, one of the things that we said was that our view, our understanding, and even really our appreciation for who God really is and who he, what he's really done in our lives, that's really only going to be as big as the size of our party. And see, what we're going to see today as we look at this event in the life of, of Jesus is that as followers of Jesus, the truth is Jesus has invited us into something. In fact, he's invited us into the very same thing. He's invited us to the same party that he invited his first four followers into. And just like those first four followers, what it is that we've been invited into can be a little confusing at times, a little scary at times, certainly a little intimidating at times. But for those of us who think of ourselves as followers of of Jesus, Jesus says, I want to make you into something that you are not naturally. I'm going to do something in you, Jesus says, that isn't natural for you. And although I might want Jesus to make me more disciplined, although I might want him to make me more committed, more successful, a better father, a better husband, right, a better friend, Jesus says, yeah, those are fine. That's all fine. But Joe, if you follow me, I'm going to make you into something that you are not naturally. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 1. If you're using one of those Bibles in front of you, you can find this on page 1,552. We're going to actually pick up uh, reading at verse number 14 of chapter 1 in the book of Mark, which tells us this. That after John was put into prison, so Mark is telling us about John the Baptist, not, not the disciple John. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee and he was proclaiming the good news of God. So this is what Jesus was saying in verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at near. So for all you Jewish people who are listening right now, Jesus is saying the the Messiah that you've been waiting for, Jesus, or, or you Jewish people, Jesus is saying the time is now. I've got good news for all of you. Because literally what Jesus is saying is that the time has been fulfilled. That the kingdom of God is now at hand. And so when all these Jewish people hear Jesus saying these words, they naturally assume that means that God is going to come, God's going to kick all these Romans out of Israel, and that God's going to come back and he's going to reestablish his physical earthly kingdom. That's what they're all thinking when they hear Jesus say this. And then Jesus continues in the next statement, and he says, repent and believe the good news. Literally, Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Now, you and I, we're pretty familiar with that word repent, but the truth is we often hear that word differently than what it actually means because the literal meaning of the word repent is actually to to change one's mind. So to say that I have repented about something is to say that I've changed my mind about something or my mind has been changed about something. 
And so in other words, what Jesus is telling these people is that God is doing something again. And listen, you don't want to miss what God is doing because the way you miss it, Jesus would say, is by thinking or believing that God is not at work, that God has left you, that God has abandoned you, that because of the current circumstance you find yourself in right now, you've come to the wrong conclusion that God doesn't care about you. See, Jesus is saying, change your mind about that whole idea. Because God does care. God is aware. And even though you may not see him working, that doesn't mean that God isn't working. And the proof of all that, the proof of that, Jesus is saying, is that the time has finally come. God is here. This is what the Apostle Paul picks up on when he tells us this in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might be adopted as God's children. See, Jesus is saying the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, and you do not want to miss what God is doing. It's kind of like this. You know how this time of year, every spring, every summer, if you, you know, listen to my favorite radio station, WWJ, or you watch the news, or you read the newspaper, every once in a while you'll hear about there being like a, a meteor shower happening. Well, I don't know about you, but every single time I hear about a meteor shower, I always plan to actually stay up and watch the meteor shower. But I have never actually seen a meteor shower in my entire life, even though I plan to every single time I hear about it. And it's always the same thing. The very next day I get up and I think to myself, you know, I really meant to get up at 2 in the morning and watch the meteor shower, right? But I stayed in bed and I slept right through it. And the fact that there were some people watching for it and some people not watching for it, that didn't make the meteor shower happen, did it? No, the meteor shower, it came and went, and the people who saw it were the ones who were looking for it, and the rest of us, like me, we just stayed in bed and we slept right through it. And see, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, the time is now fulfilled. God is doing something again, and you do not want to miss what it is that God is doing. And the way that you don't miss it, Jesus is saying, is to change your mind and stop thinking that God is not working. See, this is not Jesus saying to us, listen, you all need to get your lives cleaned up and straightened out so that God will care about you. That is not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, stop believing the lie that God doesn't care. Stop believing the lie that God isn't aware. Because God does care. And the proof of that Jesus is saying, is because God is here. That was the message that Jesus was preaching. That's what he was saying when he went into Galilee. In fact, Jesus shared this message repeatedly wherever he went. That God is on the move, God is doing something, and the people who are going to see what it is that God is doing are the people who are looking for it. And see, it's one of these times where Jesus is actually sharing this message. He's preaching this message that four guys who a bunch of you men are actually named after, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? they hear Jesus preaching this very same message. They hear this, and this is what Mark picks up in, in verse 16. He tells us that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who later became Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you. I'm going to make you something Jesus was saying that currently, currently you are not. And I know you don't know exactly what this means, and I know truthfully it's not even something you're going to be interested in, especially at the beginning. 
but I'm going to make you something. You're not going to make yourselves into this. This isn't going to happen to you overnight somehow. It's not going to just take place at the snap of a finger. Jesus says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. Now, Luke actually records this very same account for us. And when Luke records this account, he quotes Jesus just a little bit differently. And he says that Jesus told them that from now on, you will catch people, right? To which I'm sure Peter and Andrew are sitting there thinking to themselves, okay, you know, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, um, throw them on ice and sell them for $9.99 a pound? I mean, is that, you know, what, I mean, what, what do you mean we're going to catch people, Jesus? That doesn't, even, that doesn't even make sense. Verse 18, at once they, Peter and Andrew, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they too followed Jesus. And again, I don't think these guys, I don't think any of them, had a clue what it is that Jesus meant when he said to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But, but you know what the amazing thing is? A couple chapters later, a couple years later, Right? By the time we actually get into the end uh, of the New Testament, the end of the story, we discover that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they had become, they had become exactly what it is that Jesus said they would become. They, they became people who learned how to fish for other people. They actually became people who, who, who took the very same message of Jesus that they heard Jesus preach, that they heard Jesus teach about. They learned how to share that very same message through their own unique personality, through their own unique style, through their own unique set of life experiences, as different as they were from one another. And God actually used these four people to relay that message to a completely different generation of people. A generation of people who understood that it wasn't enough to simply follow. Because to follow was to invite. And those followers, they invited another group of people. And they shared that same message who also learned how to invite other people. And they shared that message with another group of people who shared it with another group of people. Because to follow, they understood. To really follow meant learning how to invite other people to the party. And see, here we are, halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, worshiping and celebrating and living for a Jewish carpenter, not because people followed Jesus, don't miss that, but because a group of people came to understand that to follow is to invite other people into the party. To follow is to invite other people to experience the very same love the very same grace, the very same gift of forgiveness that we have experienced through Jesus. So that other people can know that the party is for them. God's love is for them. God's grace, God's forgiveness, it is for them. And see, Jesus, he accomplished. Jesus accomplished exactly what it is that he said he would accomplish in those first followers of Jesus, even though none of them had any clue about what it is that God had in store for them, or what it is that Jesus was going to make them into that they were not already. And the truth is, it wasn't just these first four followers, was it? You know the story. 
There's a couple tax collectors who learned how to invite. There's a woman who was actually married five different times, had five different husbands. We looked at her story last week. She learned how to invite. There's even a guy who was possessed by a whole group of demons, and Jesus cast the demons out of this guy, and he goes back to his hometown, and he, he actually learns how to invite. All throughout the New Testament, we discover that there is this connection between what it means to follow Jesus and actually being an individual who invites other people into the party. And the truth is, they were terrible at it at first. I mean, if you read this, I mean, if you actually read this stuff, these guys were awful at it in the beginning. There's one story where Jesus sends his disciples into a city, and he tells them to actually go, and I want you to heal people and cast out demons out of people. So there's a guy there who has a son that's possessed by a demon. And so this father, he grabs Jesus' disciples, he brings them to his house, he asks the disciples to cast the demons out of his son, the, de- the disciples try and nothing happens. So he goes out and he gets Jesus, brings Jesus back, Jesus casts the demons uh, out of the man's son, and the disciples look at Jesus and, and they're like, what happened? Why didn't it work for us? And Jesus is like, well, did you pray? And the disciples are like, that's right, Remember Matthew, write that down. Whenever we're casting demons out of somebody else, remember to always pray first. There's another time where a bunch of parents, they actually bring their kids to Jesus because they want Jesus to pray and to bless their kids. And the disciples, they run all the children off and Jesus is like, guys, what are you doing? I want the little children here. I want them to be with me and I'll go find all those kids you just scared off and bring them back. See, all throughout the story. We, we discover these guys making mistakes, doing it wrong, not understanding what it is that Jesus wants them to understand. But by the end, by the end of the story, these four fishermen, a tax collector, a political activist, and a bunch of other men and women from all kinds of different walks of life, they all become, they all become not simply followers, but they become followers who learn how to invite other people to the party. They become disciples who make more disciples. Because, see, the truth is when Jesus called me, right, and and when Jesus called you, he didn't call us just so we'd be more disciplined. He didn't call us just to give us more self-control. He didn't call us to make us better husbands, better wives, better mothers, better fathers. He didn't call us for all those things, even though probably many of those things have happened in your life just like they've happened in mine. Instead, Jesus' goal for you and his goal for me, his goal for all of us, is that we would actually do in the lives of other people what it is that someone did in our lives personally, which explains why it is that you are sitting here right now today as a follower of Jesus. And see, the interesting thing is this. None of us actually signed up for any of this, did we? I mean, nobody, none of you in this room ever said, listen, I want to start following Jesus because I want to invite other people to go out and follow Jesus, right? I mean, whoever said that? I mean, none of us, right? None of us ever thought that that would be a great idea that we would love to go out and do that someday. See, the truth is I started following Jesus for the same reason that you did. I mean, I I had very selfish motives about this whole thing. I don't know about you, but see, for me, when I was a little kid, somebody explained to me that when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. 
And I was told that heaven is a really good place and hell is a really bad place. And those people who follow Jesus, they go to heaven. And those people who don't follow Jesus, they don't go to heaven. Well, that was like all I need to know. Where do I sign up? And see, it was the same thing for you, wasn't it? Because you started following Jesus because your marriage was a wreck or your family was a wreck or you were addicted to something, or someone in your family was addicted to something, and you wanted something different for you and for your family and for your future than what it is that you had experienced in your past. And and so you needed Jesus to change something, heal something, or fix something. Or maybe for you on the outside, everything was fine, but on the inside, you were dying inside. And it didn't matter what you tried, it didn't matter who you tried, it just seemed like there was a void that could not be filled by anything in this life or in this world. And so the truth is, the truth is, right, when we started following Jesus, I mean, this, this, was, this was about, Jesus, what, what is it that you can do for me right now? What is it can you, you can do to fix and heal and change in me? See, I'm in the same boat that you are. It's the same reason. And isn't it true, I mean, if we're really honest, if we kind of think about our prayers, if we think about those things that we actually talk to Jesus about, doesn't it, isn't it true? I mean, it is for me, so I'm, I'm guessing it probably is for you. But don't our prayers often sound like, okay, Jesus, gimme, 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 gimme? And, and Jesus, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me? And Jesus, protect me, protect me, protect me, and help me, help me, help me. And Jesus, get this to work out and make that work out. And Jesus, and get me a new job, get me a different job, maybe get me a new different job, Right? And see, the truth is, Jesus is so patient with us. And Jesus is so kind. And Jesus answers all those prayers. And Jesus fixes things. And he heals things. And he changes things. And he gets us through things big and small that we could never imagine. And we could never imagine actually getting through on our own without Jesus. It was the same thing for these first four guys. See, they started following Jesus not because they wanted to become fishers of men. They started following Jesus because of what it is that Jesus did for them. Just like what it is that Jesus did for us. See, Mark actually leaves out a part of the story, right? Those of you who know the story, you you know that. Luke tells the same story and he gives us a little bit more detail. If all we had of this story was Mark's account, then the picture we get is a little bit unrealistic. Because if we read Mark's account, the picture we get is that there's a couple of guys, Peter and Andrew, and they're out here fishing, and they see this guy, Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I want you guys to follow me. And so Peter and Andrew are like, okay, Dad, see you later. Thanks for raising us. Tell Mom we said bye, and we love you. Don't worry, we'll write. We're with the guy in the robe now. Right? I mean, that's the picture that we get, isn't it? The part that Mark leaves out, the part that Luke actually tells us about, is the part where Jesus asks Peter to let down the nets. Peter, I want you to let down your nets during the middle of the day when there are absolutely no fish. In fact, Peter, it's the time of the day when you physically cannot catch the fish because the fish are on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and I know, Peter, that your nets cannot reach the bottom of the Sea of Galilee where the fish are during the middle of the day. It is physically impossible for you to catch fish at this time of the day. But Peter, I'm asking you, to let down your nets. And Peter kind of looks at Jesus and he's like, well, I don't know what good it'll do, but I got nothing to lose, whatever. And so Peter lets down the nets. You know the story. What happens? Two boats 
They catch so many fish that Peter's boat and John's boat, they both begin to sink under the weight of all the fish that they actually catch. They have so many fish, they don't know what to do with them all. It is literally miraculous. And it's right after that that Jesus looks at these guys and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. He's like, what else are they going to do? Nah, Jesus, we're good. Going to hang out here with the fish. I mean, really? Meanwhile, their fathers are across the beach looking at them saying, just, just follow him, right? Just, just go with that guy. He said something about being a fisherman. Doesn't matter what he said. Just go with the guy who filled your boat with fish. See, it was the same thing for them as it was for us. They followed Jesus because of what they experienced. They followed Jesus because of what it is that he did for them. And see, Jesus says, no problem, no problem. That's a great way. That's a great way to actually start following. But see, it doesn't end there. Because follow me long enough, and Jesus says, eventually I'm going to lead you beyond what is it that I can do for you lately. Follow me long enough, Jesus says, and I'm going to eventually lead you to become something that naturally you are not. Because see, followers, because disciples, disciples make more disciples. Followers, they invite other people to the party. Because the truth is, this isn't just about get, bless me, guide me, protect me, get me a job, get me a boyfriend, get me a girlfriend, get me through school, right? It's not just about all that stuff. And see, Jesus is, is incredibly clear. I mean, God absolutely cares about all that stuff. Absolutely he does, so hear me on that. But see, Jesus would also tell us all that stuff that we get so consumed with and so wrapped up about. Yes, it matters. But yes, it's also temporary. I mean, let's be honest, how much of this stuff, me included, how much of the stuff that we get so wrapped up about emotionally, how much of that stuff outside of the context of birth and death really has any significant meaning outside of that context? And see, the truth is, the truth is so much of those things that consume our heart, right, and that we just get so wrapped up about, the truth is so much of that stuff is just temporary, isn't it? And again, Jesus cares about all of that. And see, the amazing thing is this. For some of you today, this will forever change how it is that you think about and experience your daily life. So I want you to hear me when I say this. Your Heavenly Father has the ability. He has the ability to take all of that stuff that we get so wrapped up with, all that stuff that consumes our hearts and our passions and our energies, He has the ability to take all of that stuff and give to it eternal value and significance by allowing Him to make us individually into something that we are not naturally. By allowing Him to make us into followers who invite other people to the party. Because, see, the truth is, your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father can use all those things that we run after, worry about, and angst about. He can take all of them and use them in such a way where you are perfectly positioned, 
because of where you are in life, because of who you are in life, and because of what it is that you've experienced in the course of your life, that you would be perfectly positioned in the life of another person to actually be the preeminent person to give somebody else the invitation of a lifetime. That God has actually perfectly positioned you in such a way to impact another person and their faith in Jesus as their Savior because of what it is that you have experienced in this life. Your successes, your failures, your heartbreaks, your disappointments, your hope, your joys, your, your finances, your age, all of it. Jesus says, I will bring eternal value and significance to all of that by perfectly positioning you in the life of another person and giving them the invitation of a lifetime that will make an eternal difference in their future, in their family, simply because I'm going to make you into something that you are not naturally, Jesus says. Because eventually, followers... If they're really following, they invite other people into God's party, don't they? And see, I know what you're thinking about this. I mean, I really do. Because you're sitting out there, and you're thinking to yourself right now, Joe, it is so easy for you to stand up there and tell us how easy it is for us to invite people into God's party because you're a pastor, right? That's what you're thinking. I know it is. Well, here's the thing. This is how I feel about it. This is the truth. So being just honest with you, you think it would be so much easier for me to invite other people to the party because I'm a pastor. Well, I think it's actually so much easier for you to invite other people to the party because I'm a pastor, right? See, because, because, see, people, when they meet me, they expect me to talk about Jesus because, after all, right, I'm a professional Christian. I work at a church, okay? But you, you're all real people. You're normal people, You have real jobs. You sit next to real people in school every day. You work with real people at work every day. And I think it would be so much easier for you to actually invite other people to the party than it would be for me. See, you think that that me being a pastor is an advantage. I think it's a disadvantage. And here's the point, right? It's so difficult for any of us, for all of us, to actually think that there's anything about us Anything about us individually that would make us the best person to invite somebody else to the party? I mean, we just naturally assume that it's going to be so much easier for somebody else than it would be for us. But that is exactly why. That is exactly why Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you something that naturally you are not. In other words, Jesus is saying, of course you're going to be scared. Of course it's going to be uncomfortable. Of course you're going to have doubts and questions and fears. But if you follow me, Jesus says, that one of the things I'm going to do in you and do through you is to use the temporary in your life for the sake of the eternal in somebody else's life. Because, see, the truth is this. You are and you will continue to be perfectly positioned in the life of another person to invite them into the party because you have the opportunity. There's someone who's going to listen to you that will never listen to me. And you have the opportunity to impact the life of a person that the person sitting next to you right now is never going to have the opportunity to impact. You have the opportunity to communicate in your own way and with your own personal style and through your own life experiences the life-changing message of who Jesus really is. You can do that. Think about it this way. I want you to think about the person 
Think about the individual for each of you that God used to personally invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Think about that person. And if you've been following Jesus for your entire life or ever since you were a little kid, I want you to think for a moment about the individual that God used when you were 16 or you were 18 or you were 20 or 22 or 25 or 30 that they either brought you back or made it real for you. I want you to think about that person right now because I'm going to tell you three things about that person and that situation in, in your life. First, more than likely you had already heard the message of Jesus before that person ever came into your life, right? I mean, maybe for some of you that's not true, but for most of you, you had already heard that there was this guy named Jesus that was supposedly crucified, supposedly risen from the dead a long time ago. You had already heard that before, right? So it wasn't just the message. I mean, it was the message, but it was also the messenger, wasn't it? There there was something about that person, something about their life, their personality, their achievements in life. There was something about that unique individual And there was something about the message of Jesus and those two things that God brought together. And third, there was something happening currently in your life at the time, wasn't there? It was your current circumstance. And see, you had no idea what it is that God did to actually bring those three things together in your life. But the truth is, he did. And he used those three things to give you personally the invitation of a lifetime. See, for me, it was a guy by the name of Byron that probably many of you, maybe some of you, still remember. And God used him at a very critical stage in my life to actually bring me back. And the truth is, whether you believe it or not, whether you think about it or not, you have been and you will continue to be perfectly positioned by your Heavenly Father to be the preeminent person that He will use to give somebody else the invitation of a lifetime and invite them into the party. And see, the challenge is this. This is why we're doing this series right now as we begin summertime together. See, if you're not thinking this way, if I'm not thinking this way, if our eyes and our hearts aren't kind of open to this, then it's just so easy to go about our daily lives and just miss the meteor shower. Right? Just miss what it is that God would do through me because I'm just so consumed with my life and my experiences and what's on my calendar and what it is that I have to do today. See, it's just so easy for us to miss what it is that God would do through you. What it is that God would actually do through you to impact the life of another person and make an eternal difference in them, in their family in their children, in their grandchildren, in their future. And see, the way that happens, it's not mysterious. The way that happens is simply this. It's by saying to your Heavenly Father, here I am. Father, here are my successes and here are my failures. God, here are the needs that I still have in my life. Here are my unanswered prayers. Father, here are all the things that that you've already done in my past, and here's all the things that I hope that you still do in my future. Father, here I am. If there is anything about me or in me that is useful to you, then God, use it. God, use it. And God, please, use me. Even though I'm scared, even though I don't know what to say, even though I don't know what to do, God, make me into a person 
who actually invites other people into the party. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer this morning. And Father, the truth is you know every single one of our hearts. You know my heart. You know that there are people that each one of us know, that we love, that we care about. There are people around us and in our lives that we really do. We, we desperately want to invite to the party. And, and, and the simple truth is, Father, that for most of us, probably for all of us, if we're honest, we just don't know how. We just don't know what to say. We get nervous. We get anxious. We, we get afraid that they're going to reject us. And, and Father, just in this moment, Lord, help us just, just put all those things to the side. Help us to remember that this is really not about us. It's about what you are making us into. Father, forgive us for thinking that this is our responsibility because you're clear this is, Jesus, what you're doing. Jesus, this is what you're doing in and through each one of us. Father, forgive us for those times when we listen to that fear more than we listen to that voice that we hear of you calling us to follow you. Because Jesus, you tell us very clearly, very plainly, this is what you will do in us. This is what you will make us to be. Help us not to sleep through what it is that you're doing in our lives and what it is that you want to do in every single one of us. And Jesus, our prayer as your people in this place, for those of us who are here today that say that we are your followers, just Jesus, please make us into what you want us to be. Use our successes, use our failures, use our fears, use our achievements, use our passions. Jesus, even use our unanswered prayers to perfectly position every single one of us into someone else's life so that we can invite them to be a part of your party. Jesus, we're here. Please use us. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.